my humblest apologies to Brian, and I can assure him that I will listen more attentively to Secretary's announcements in the morning service. It's good that you plan to get to the prayer meeting in good time. That means that you can definitely get to the service in reasonable time. Good to be with you again uh, this evening. Turn, please, in the Word of God to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and commencing with verse 17. And we're going to read into chapter 6 just a, a, a few verses. 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, and we're commencing to read at verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteous of God in him. We then, as workers together with them, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation I have succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. This is God's word, and we thank God for his word. Let's bow in a moment of prayer before we come to the word of God. Father, we still our hearts again in your presence, and we thank you for these tremendous words that we have been using tonight to remind us of your goodness and your grace, your loving kindness and tender mercy. We thank you for the revelation that you have given to us of these great truths in your holy word. And as we turn to the scriptures again tonight, we pray that we might hear the word of God in a way in which we have never heard it before. And through listening to the written word, we might be led to him who is the living word. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. In 1862, Charles Berry was a liberal minister whose church was in the Wolverhampton area of England. One wet Saturday evening while he was reading over his sermon in his study, he heard the sound of loud knocking coming from his front door. When he opened the door, there was a young woman who was greatly distressed. It turned out that her mother was dying. She knew of Charles Berry, but had never been to his church. And when he opened his door to her, she burst into tears and she cried out, My mother is dying, my mother is dying, please come and get her in. 
Charles Berry understood this as someone who needed social help or medical care. Someone who was in need of a doctor or a nurse. But the girl insisted on saying, no, she needs you to come. Please come and get her in. He then understood this to mean that she needed assurance to face her maker. As she was dying and having agreed to come with the young woman, he found himself asking the question, what am I going to say to this poor, desperate soul? When he arrived, he leaned over her and said, you know, you're a good woman. Uh, I'm sure you've been a kind neighbor and a faithful friend to your loved ones. There's nothing to fear for God is love. But his words gave her no comfort. At last the pastor became desperate and there and then the only thing that he could call to mind were the words of an old hymn that he learned from his mother when he was a boy which she had often sung to him. And so he began to sing, There is a fountain filled with blood. Drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stain. The woman's face lit up and as he looked at her, he fondly related to her what he had been taught by his mother as a boy, the truth that Jesus Christ took the sinner's place on the cross. And in those moments, the dying woman found peace with God by trusting in her son, Jesus Christ. Sharing the gospel with her, the minister had got her in. And the next Sunday morning, he told his fashionable congregation about his moving experience. And he concluded, he concluded his remarks by saying, not only did it get her in, but it got me in too. And from now on, I'm going to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. You and I tonight are on the journey of life. Some of us tonight, the preacher included, may be standing on the very threshold of eternity. And the only thing that will comfort us then is the assurance that Christ died for our sins and rose again for our justification. The gospel preacher was standing in the marketplace. And as he was addressing those who had gathered around him and others who were passing by, he posed these three questions. He said, you must die, but when? You must meet God, but how? You must spend the eternity, but where? I wonder as we come to the closing moments of this service this evening, where you stand in relation to the eternal destiny of your never-dying soul. Maybe like many, for many years you've heard the gospel. Now, the message of salvation is a familiar one to you. Uh, you have listened to it for many years, but still you linger in your sin. Uh, you're not on the way. You've never applied the story of God's redeeming love and mercy and grace to your heart and to your soul. The writer said, time is fragile. Handle it with prayer. The poet puts it like this, when I was a child, I laughed and wept and time crept. When I was a youth, I dreamed and time 
walked and talked. When I became a fully grown man, time ran. Soon I shall find in traveling on time gone and face eternity with time done. The Bible again and again urges us to wisely employ this commodity, this precious gift of time. The writer in the prophet Isaiah says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. The prophet Hosea says, It is time to seek the Lord. The wise writer in the book of Proverbs writes, Do not boast yourself about tomorrow, for no man knows what a day may bring forth. He goes on to say in Proverbs 29, He who is often reproved and hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be cut off, and that without remedy. I want to focus the message this evening on these words recorded in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Or to put it another way, behold, now is the favorable time of the Lord. Now is the day of salvation. Here is a word tonight from God that spells out the need to wisely employ this precious commodity called time. Here is a powerful plea from the heart of God through the pen of Paul. He's urging his readers not to receive the grace of God in vain. He's pleading, urging, begging young and old alike, rich and poor, to get right with God. When the beloved apostle John was on the Isle of Patmos, God spoke to him. The Son of God was revealed to him. And he not only saw a vision, but he heard a voice. And the voice of the living Lord said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and is to come, the Almighty. You will know, I'm sure, that Alpha is the opening letter in the Greek alphabet. Omega is the closing letter. And what the Spirit of God was saying was this, that Christ is the alphabet out of which God frames every sentence, every paragraph, every chapter of this unique story, the story of salvation. How we thank God tonight that a meeting like this has been convened. And a meeting like this has been convened because it is the favorable time of the Lord. Paul writing in Titus 2.11 says, The grace of God has appeared unto all men, bringing salvation. It's the day of salvation. And all men and women, young people, boys and girls, they need to be saved. And they need to be saved because of the danger that they are in. This word salvation is a tremendous word. Sometimes the importance of a word is determined by the person who uses it. The story is told of an occasion when one of Napoleon's horses attempted to bolt and break loose. 
A young soldier of private rank observed what was happening and quickly moved to avert a disaster. Thank you, Captain, replied the general. Of which regiment, asked the young man. Of my regiment, of course, replied the general. A few hours later, the young man walked into the officer's quarters and announced his rank. And the question was immediately raised, Who said that? And the young man replied, Napoleon. And that was enough. Salvation is an important word. It's an important word, for it has heaven's authority stamped all over it. It is saturated with God's approval. It's not a word that was invented by General Booth of Salvation Army fame. Nor was it a word invented by some American preacher, pastor, evangelist, author, or Bible teacher to keep them in a job. This word has been placed in the canon of Holy Scripture over 150 times. And time and time again, God speaks to men and women about salvation. A salvation that brings believing sinners out of a place of great danger into the place of great safety. And so therefore tonight, every individual, man, woman, child, boy or girl, Without God's salvation, they are all in great danger. And we're often warned about danger, are we not? The medical world senses its responsibility to warn people about their eating habits and the danger of alcohol and nicotine. The Trinity Lighthouse people mark the perilous sea with lighthouses and buoys and watch for the mariners who may be in danger at sea. The traffic branch mark our roads with important road signs to make our roads safer places to travel on. You may not be in physical danger tonight or in danger at sea or on the highways, but you are in danger of being eternally lost through sin. And therefore the Lord taught men and women with great earnestness to make sure that nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing, kept them out of heaven. And whatever it is that is holding you back from trusting Christ tonight, have done with it. Jesus Christ says, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. It is more profitable if one member should perish than the whole body in hell. Dr. Luke says, strive to enter in at the straight gate. I don't know about you, but before... I trusted Christ for salvation. I can think of many who needed to be saved. I followed the lie of the devil. I was deceived by the deceitfulness of sin. There is nothing more deceitful than the deceitfulness of sin. I considered myself all right the way I was because I compared myself with others whose sin was more obvious than my sin. But what a difference when God spoke into my life by the Spirit of God and impacted my life and soul and moved me to repentance and faith towards God through the Lord Jesus Christ. God is speaking tonight. How do I know God is speaking? Every time we come to the Word of God, God speaks. God speaks and listening to His voice 
new life the dead receive. The mournful, broken heart rejoice. The humble, poor believe. God is speaking and he's saying to you, you are in great danger, a danger that can only be averted through saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to be saved. It's the favorable time of the Lord. You need to be saved because of the danger that you're in. And secondly tonight, you need to be saved because of the death of Christ. Salvation is a must, not only because of the danger we're in, but because of the death of Christ. You see, what you need to appreciate is that his death was not the result of casual thought, but rather the outcome of careful planning. Being crucified was not a new thing in Jerusalem. Many were put to death on a wooden cross. The Bible tells us that Jesus was crucified between two thieves, the Romans, who were in part to great delight to put their enemies on a cross. Just as in olden times a farmer nailed a dead crow to a post to keep the other crows away, so the Romans, when facing the threat of a revolt, would have taken those whom they considered to be ringleaders and nailed them to a wooden cross. One historian tells us that in one year, 300 crosses decorated the hills of Rome. Ah, but this cross was different. Apart from the one who hung on this cross, the rest were there for crimes that they had committed against the state. The one who occupied this cross had done no sin, knew no sin. He was none other than the spotless, sinless, stainless Lamb of God. Bearing the sin of fallen humanity. Your sin and my sin. The sin of all who would look to him and trust in him for salvation. The hymn writer puts it like this. He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary. And he suffered and he died and alone. And as he approached the place where they would crucify him, he was heard to say, The ruler of this world is coming, and he's no claim on me. This spotless, sinless Lamb of God went to the cross willingly, went to the cross submissively, went to the cross knowing all the agony, shame, and pain that lay ahead of him. And there at Calvary he paid sin's price, conquered sin's power. Three days he rose in triumph from the grave, proving that the sufficiency of his sacrifice to deal with sin had been accomplished and salvation was provided for all who will believe. That is grace. That is grace. Grace that is greater than all our sins. It's a great word. It's a biblical word. If we do not understand the New Testament meaning of the word grace, we shall never understand the New Testament. Grace is the substance in the very heart of his message. Our God tonight is a God of grace. Jesus brought grace to the world. 
The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of grace. Salvation, as I've already said, is the product of grace. The sinner is justified by grace. Redemption is according to grace. And so it begs a very important question, does it not? What then is grace? It is the free, unmerited, undeserved favor of God to sinners. It is God showing goodness to a people who deserve only wrath and condemnation. It's the sinner not coming looking for grace from God, but God in grace coming and looking for the sinner. He found me with a burden and he lifted it from me. He found me bruised and dying and he gave me liberty. He found me in the darkness and he made the light to shine. Can you wonder why I love him and call him friend of mine? And grace exists and is necessary for two reasons. What are those two reasons? One is the character of man and the other is the character of God. Though man was created in the image of God, able to know God and enjoy God, when man sinned, he became alienated, separated from God. And sin has since dominated all his actions. He is now alien to God, his maker, and because of his sinful character, he can do nothing about it. Dead in trespasses and in sin. Dead, dominated because of sin. That's man's character. God's character, on the other hand, is such that he cannot condone or overlook sin. His holiness, truth, and justice demand that man must be dealt with as he is and that sin must be punished. And these two factors taken on their own would condemn all men to an eternity in hell. But God's character is also such that though he hates sin, yet he loves the guilty sinner who deserves his judgment. The divine love therefore plans salvation and divine grace provides and produces salvation. And grace is absolutely necessary because without it sinful man has no hope. And grace is possible because of the loving kindness and tender mercy of our God. And once this truth is grasped and understood, grace becomes the most thrilling thing there is. And this glorious gem shines again and again and again throughout the pages of Holy Scripture. You see, the holiness of God made Calvary a necessity. The grace of God makes Calvary a reality. And what you need to understand and what we need to appreciate tonight even more, had there been another way by which God could be righteous and save the lost, do you think you would have permitted his beloved son, the darling of his bosom, to go through the pain, the agony and shame of the cross? Paul raises this question. If righteousness were to come through the law, then Christ died in vain. There are many people tonight who will be regular in their church attendance. 
And we, they will go through today all the ritual of a religious formula. And to paraphrase it, they will be told you're not too bad. Just roll your sleeves up a little further. Pull your socks up a little higher. Do a little better. Work a little more at it. You're all right the way you are. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing can for sin atone. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You see, you're listening to someone tonight who never stood in a boogie shop. Someone who never was addicted to alcohol. Some who, uh, one who didn't uh, uh, travel the unclean side of the broad road. Who traveled the self-righteous side of the broad road. And when one became a Christian and confessed that faith to others, the response of many was, I thought you already were a Christian. And they identified my faith in God by my affiliation to a church, uh, to church organizations, which were all good and all meaningful and all helpful. But that not, did not deal with my relationship to God. There had to come a moment in my life when I realized that I was unrighteous in the sight of God and that I could not provide a righteousness that, righteousness that would satisfy the holy and highest demands of a thrice holy God. And I could only meet that righteousness by coming to Christ and receiving from Him His righteousness. Isn't that what we read tonight? Uh, for he hath made him to be sin for us, that is the Lord Jesus, who you know sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We need a righteousness outside of ourselves tonight. We need a righteousness that will satisfy the righteous demands of a, a thrice holy God before whom all fallen angels bow and they cry with their faces covered, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Salvation is a must tonight because of the danger you're in. Salvation is a must tonight because of the death of Christ. Calvary spells out despair to anyone who's trying to make it on their own. And Calvary sends out there's Glorious message that at the cross and only at the cross is where we save life, light, and joy. Salvation is a must tonight because of the danger we're in, because of the death of Christ, and because of the deceitfulness of Satan. Because of the deceitfulness of Satan. I've said it before, there's nothing more deceitful than the deceitfulness of sin. Jesus Christ himself described the devil as the father of lies. He's the great deceiver. He's the destroyer of men. He's forever seeking to undermine and undervalue everything that God has revealed in his word. He wants you to think lightly of sin. Because sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And sin will take you further than you want to go. And sin will cost you more than you want to pay. And Satan paints sin in very attractive colors. 
but he doesn't tell the whole story. He doesn't tell you that sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. God says now, Satan says later. God says tonight, Satan says tomorrow. The story is told of Satan interviewing three applicants for an appointment to carry out his evil mission. And the first one said, I will tell the people that there's no God. He said, that's no good. Men know in their heart of hearts there's a God because eternity has been placed within the hearts of all men. Someone says, I'll tell them there's no hell. Satan says, that's no good. Even in this life, men have experienced the foreshadowing pangs of hell. The third one said, I'll tell them there's no hurry. And Satan said, that's it. That's it. No hurry. You know, time past is irrecoverable. Time future is unpredictable. Time present is invaluable. It's the only time we have. And so we need to use it wisely. We need to hear and heed the warning voice. The old hymn says, Oh, do not let the world depart, nor close thine eyes against the light. For sinner, harden not thy heart. Why not be saved tonight? Tomorrow's sun may never rise to bless thy long deluded sight. This is the time. Oh, then be wise. Thou wouldst be saved. Why not tonight? It's the favorable time of the Lord. It's the day of salvation. And we need this salvation because of the danger we're in. We need this salvation because of the death of the Savior. And we need this salvation tonight because of the deceitfulness of Satan. Tomorrow I am led to rest a godly woman who was part of the church family in Shankill Baptist. A week or so ago she was in a coma and coming in and out of a coma. And I was in the ward and as she opened her eyes, oh she said, Pastor Jew. And then she said this, you're wearing a lovely shirt. And then she said, what about Margaret, my wife? And then she closed her eyes. Then she opened them again and she lifted her hands. She said, hallelujah, praise the Lord. In a few days' time, she slipped into the presence of God. And that's my lasting image of Belle. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Because this Savior that we're thinking about was her Savior too. Let's pray. Let's take a moment of quietness and stillness reflecting upon some of the things that we've been thinking about tonight. 
as our meeting draws to a close. Father in heaven, you know every heart, every head bowed in this gathering tonight. And as our faces differ, so also do our needs. But all of us tonight need the Savior. All of us need to be right with God. And we thank God tonight for those who are, for those who have experienced, have experienced the blood of Jesus Christ sufficient to cleanse from all sin. For any tonight who are still rejecting the Savior, Lord, be gracious unto them. And just now may they respond to your love and mercy and grace. May the prayer of their heart be tonight, Jesus, I will trust you. Trust you with my soul. Guilty, lost, helpless. You can make me whole. May they pray this tonight for Jesus' sake. Amen. 348 is the closing hymn of the meeting. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior. Life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Let's stand to sing.